Oh, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Life's a Bags podcast, a podcast created to inform, empower and educate all in the experiences of women of colour. I'm your host, Ro. On this week's episode, I'm joined by a woman who really knows a thing or two about securing the bag. Yvonne Bajella is a founding member and principal at Impact X Capital, a UK-based venture capital fund founded to invest in companies led by underrepresented entrepreneurs. Her work aims to close a significant gap in funding for female and minority founders. In this week's episode, we talk about growing up with ambition in a hustling immigrant household, making Forbes's 30 under 30, the different types of funding available, and the importance of having an empathetic management style. You also don't want to miss Yvonne's tips on how to nail future pitches and secure venture capitalist funding. Hope you enjoy listening. Let's get into the episode. Hi Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm a startup investor at ImpactX. ImpactX is a UK-based venture capital fund. And for those of you that may not know what venture capital is, it's essentially a company that invests in startups. So I focus on investing in underrepresented company founders. And today I've invested well over $200 million, uh, working with well over 100 startups. And I've worked in Europe, Middle East and Africa, spent some time living in uh, you know, Japan, Kenya and Israel as well. That's amazing. Just listening to your background. I'd really love to dig a little bit deeper into that. Tell us a little bit more about your background growing up. Yeah, sure. So my mum and dad were both immigrants from Ghana. Um, I'd say that they were kidding me of entrepreneurs, like absolute hustlers. So growing up, my mum worked in a supermarket. You know, my dad was initially a cab driver. They both come from Ghana and they'd set out to create a better life for themselves. You know, unfortunately, my dad did pass away last year, but he's probably been the most influential person and impactful person on my life um you know when it comes to my mom she's a great example of, of an entrepreneur because growing up she was always on the phone hustling selling bags selling shoes like you name it she was selling it um but honestly speaking her story is so inspiring you know from working multiple jobs while we were growing up to now owning multiple homes here in the UK and in Ghana as well as running the business one thing that I would say was absolutely key growing up was you know my dad would always say to me Avon knowledge is power and that was really drilled in my mind so on Saturdays when you know your average 11 year old will be out playing games and like out with friends I was at home I was with my dad like reading the financial times and he was giving me lessons <laughs> on economics and how the world of money works and so on but one thing that I did is really spark my interest in finance so that's what led me to go on and study economics and finance and that really inspired me to go into the world of banking when I graduated and later on into the world of VC. I think the key thing is, you know, seeing that hustle and drive in both of my parents really did shape me into believing that I could do anything that I wanted. Um, and it's all about me working hard. As long as I work hard, I'll be able to achieve whatever I wanted to. So even though we didn't have like all the resources growing up, because, you know, there were times it was, it was financially tough, the values and knowledge that my parents instilled in me it really, really shaped me into who I am today. Love that. Just because it helps our listeners connect a little bit more. So thank you for sharing your story. No worries. Okay, so you've got a lot going on. So you studied economics and, and business finance at Brunel University. I studied did. at Oxford University. Mm -hmm. Worked at Goldman Sachs. 
uh, became a board member of another company, you're a founding <laughs> member of Impact X, Forbes 30 under 30. How do you manage all of this? Do you know what? I always say that, you know, you get to prioritize what's important at any given time. Um, and so that's how I really find balance and saying no to anything that's not going to help me get to my goals. So really being disciplined from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So did you always know that you wanted to get into venture capitalism? No, I didn't actually. Um, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to go into finance, but you know, the VC world is so obscure. Um, mm. and so I didn't actually know about it until uh, well after I'd graduated. Definitely. I think it's one of those things that are not traditional career paths. Like you grow up saying, oh, I want to become a doctor. Or I want to become a nurse. Yeah, those exactly. Careers, you don't really think, oh yeah, I want to become a VC, even though it's like, impressive and absolutely amazing. So I'd like to ask, what kind of advice would you give to women of colour who are interested in becoming a venture capitalist or interested in going down that career path? Have you got any words of wisdom or um, any advice or resources that they can tap into? Yeah, so I guess one of the key things about venture capitalists is you have to be intellectually curious. And so always, you know, looking at various sources of information, understanding what's happening in the market, understanding different trends that are taking place, because, you know, every industry, every sector, there's cycles, there's new trends that constantly emerge. And as a venture capitalist, you have to stay on top of them in order to understand whether you are on trend or not, and you know whether you're looking at the right sort of companies. And so constantly absorbing as much information as possible really is the best advice I can give. And there's some great resources out there as well. You know, there's 20 Minute BC, you know, there's Associated Podcast, which is an incredible podcast for anyone thinking about breaking into BC. It basically has various investors come on the show and explain their journey. Um, and then there's also a number of books as well. Secrets of Sand Hill Road, for example, is a great one. And Venture Deals. What do you think needs to be done to encourage more diversity in the industry? I think just looking at it from both sides. So you've got the careers, people wanting to get into the industry, and then you've got capitalists working with diverse founders. What more do you think really needs to be done on both sides? Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll you know, set some context. Because if you look back at the last decade, you know, the world of VC has really accelerated well over 1.5 trillion dollars has gone into venture capital deals and most of that has come in the most recent years and the data certainly shows that there's a lack of diversity on all fronts so last year for example only 0.5 percent of funding went to black entrepreneurs Mm. and so there's a real systemic issue and i think that if you look at it from both sides so on the investing side i think more needs to be done to ensure that there's a pipeline of diverse investors coming through the ranks and so firms need to be more proactive in their hiring process and ensuring that they are making their process open a lot of jobs you'll find in the industry are simply not advertised and so it's very much through people you know that you become aware of that and and that has its major disadvantages if you're not within certain circles you just won't know about the roles in the industry mm-hmm. on the other side of that I think um again coming back to the point of investors like when it comes to female founders for example female investors actually are twice more likely to invest in female entrepreneurs and the same applies for women and colors so if you get more investors in decision-making positions from different backgrounds they are going to increase the number of entrepreneurs getting funded from various backgrounds and so um, I think it, it does really come down to the whole hiring piece mm-hmm. and also you know funds need to be more proactive as well and in, in when they're looking for potential companies to fund they need to tap into networks that are not their traditional I mean just if you think about it from the perspective of investors invest in what they know what they feel comfortable with and people that they can really resonate and, and they know they'll get along with and traditionally that's been within their networks and so if you, if they've gone to Oxford or Cambridge they're, they're likely to tap into those networks and more needs to be done with funds being more proactive in, in st- looking outside of their, those networks. Mm. 
I think that's really interesting what you said about them kind of tapping into people that they already maybe the same circle exactly. just kind of stays within that circle I think that's something that can be applied to a lot of things that are happening right now in terms of diversity in the corporate mm-hmm. world in particular just looking at some of the technology companies that are out there and how they're trying to improve their diversity like having more women for example in STEM women coming through to technology companies but that's not going to happen unless you're actually looking in the right places it's very interesting what you said about kind of them tapping into the same network yeah and no, I totally agree with you mm-hmm. What was your experience like of making Forbes 30 under 30? Do you know, it was, I was very grateful. Um, but at the same time, I found out in March, right after we had gone into lockdown. So I didn't have a chance to celebrate. Wow. <laughs> and, and usually they, they have a number of events that take place and so on, where, you know, all the individuals that have been featured come together and meet at the annual Forbes 30 under 30 conference. Um, but obviously that didn't take place, um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's it's a huge honor. But at the same time, I don't take things like this lightly. Mm. At the same time, I am very grateful. Oh, it sounds like an incredible opportunity. So, do you kind of end up networking with those people that end up being on the list as well? Does it allow you to tap into those networks? Yeah, definitely. So, there's actually a Slack group for all the individuals that have been um, on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, both in Europe and in the US. And so, I've connected with some really incredible individuals. And um, through that as well, whenever I see, or you know, whenever someone sees that I'm Forbes 30 under 30, or, and they are. Mm-hmm then immediately it's it's a talking point. So we connect. um, And I've found that across my various lines of communication as well. I've connected with some really incredible people. So talk to us about Impact X. Why underrepresented group in particular? Yeah, so Impact X very much focuses on underrepresented groups. When we talk about underrepresented, it's really entrepreneurs that you wouldn't typically find represented in a typical VC fund. Um, And again, come back to statistics. Like if you look at last year, less than 0.5% of funding went to companies led by black entrepreneurs in Europe and and that's a real issue because you know we've spent a lot of time looking at the market and what we find is that there's no pipeline issues there's incredible number of entrepreneurs do that are building great companies that have the potential to to go go on and be billion dollar companies however they're not getting as much access to funding and so essentially that's what we're really trying to do bridge that gap in funding whilst also really empowering these individuals so what have been some of your biggest career challenges and how have you overcome them? Interesting. Um, I would say my biggest career challenge was a few years ago, actually. So it was when I was presented with the opportunity to join Mitsui. So Mitsui is a Japanese investment company. And at the time, you know, they said, come on board, would love you to come on board as an investment manager. And it was a really, really senior position. I just left banking. I had a, did a short stint in strategy consulting, but I hadn't really actually worked in venture capital or private equity before. So I was really battling the voice inside whether I should actually take on the role but one thing that I realized at that point is you know opportunities like that don't come by every day and so I had to grab it with both hands so when I started the role honestly speaking it was one of the most challenging periods of my life I felt completely out of my depth I was asked to manage a team at the same time and you know knowing that I didn't really have the expertise in investing but I was asked to lead a team doing exactly that I kind of felt like battling within myself you know how could I exert my authority when I know so little about the role Mm. 
So those initial six months for me were a real roller coaster. I remember doing really late nights. I would spend, you know, all night working. I'll be there until midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I'll be off ordering delivery to the office. Um, but I managed, to, <laughs> I managed to really find a, a saviour in a colleague of mine. She works in the New York office doing exactly the same role as me, but focusing on a different region. And so she invested so much time in helping me get up to speed. Um, so even though it was, it was really a challenging period, I... I went in it as if everything was going to be okay. And so when you have that attitude, because one thing I always say is mindset is so, so important in whatever you do in your career, in business. And so I never saw failure as an option. I never saw myself being defeated within the position. So I had that constant mindset that I'm going to do this and I'm going to make sure that I'm the very best I can be at this role. And that's exactly what I did. So it was a very challenging period. But I mean, after you know 12 months of being there, I was actually promoted from just covering Africa to covering the EMEA region. So I was responsible for investments across Europe, Middle East and Africa. And with that, I got the opportunity to travel to a wide range of countries. And I'd say that's probably the most pivotal um, career move I've made in, in my entire career. And so I guess the key thing that I, I really took from that is, you know, you'll never be given more that you, than you can handle. And even when you do feel completely out of your depth, tap into the resources that are, that are there. Don't be afraid to ask for help, which is exactly what I did. And also just have that self-belief as well, that you can do it. And, you know, they could see that I could do it before I could even see see that. So I was doubting yeah. myself, but they were looking at me and saying, you know, you have great experience, you can do this role. And it took some time for me to get that self-belief. But when I did, I really did accelerate within that position. Um, and it's brought me to where I am today. Hmm. Mindset is everything. It's like, like the law of attraction, as they say. So, you know, whatever way you're feeling is what you'll come convey exactly um so at the time were you the youngest investment manager i was um you know japanese culture is is very hierarchical and so um coming in at such a young age was quite controversial actually <laughs> but what i had was a great sponsor so the, the individual that hired me he he really did you know believe in me um and he wanted to see me get promoted and so on and, and that's why i think it's so important to have sponsors and mentors throughout your career people that can really advocate for you and believe in you did you have a mentor that was in your team or was it someone that was within the business because sometimes they say it's better to have a mentor that isn't within your team yes so I had a sponsor um who was the individual that hired me so he was the one that was you know having those conversations internally to get me promoted and so on I also had mentors but one thing that I would say is um you know mentors throughout my life sometimes they don't even know they're my mentors as someone that is an avid reader you know major podcast listener I learned so much just from reading about other people's journeys and I think that's a great way you don't necessarily have to have a formal mentoring relationship there's tons of people people that are my mentors and they don't even know it <laughs> you know these are people that I, I read their stories I follow their newsletters and just you know really understand how they've got to where they are today um, and that's something that I advise to anyone you don't always necessarily have to have a formal mentor relationship there are you know so many resources out there there's so many podcasts that are accessible today there's so many newsletters and books where people are sharing their journey and sharing advice and it's free so really tap into those and don't feel the need to get a formal mentor Hmm. And at that time as well, how did you strike the balance of being seen as engaged and confident without being seen as, you know, those stereotypes of being bossy or aggressive, etc.? Um, interesting question. So one thing about me is um, <laughs> my family actually call me the gentle giant because I, I guess you can tell I'm pretty Aww. soft-spoken. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I do command respect. And so throughout my career, one thing I've learned is that my management style is one of empathy. So I like to really understand, you know, what people are going through, their personal circumstances, really come down to their level. And that's something that I always try to do, like build relationships. That's so important. And so it's through the relationship that I built with the team that even when I was struggling with certain things, I wouldn't be afraid to say, hey, look, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. And I think that's so important. I think sometimes having empathy as a leader is seen as a, a bad thing. But for me, it's mm. one of my superpowers. So it's yeah, really... Okay, like kind of like a weakness. Exactly. But I find it it's really worked in my favor that I have that empathy because at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? Everyone going through their own battles and so on and so the fact that I'm able to come down and really just speak to people I want to understand what they're going through I want to understand about their home life has really helped me in the capacity of being a leader mm-hmm. good words of advice <laughs> have you got any tips for entrepreneurs on finding the right investment yeah yeah so such an important point I mean a lot of people focus on VC simply because it's what we see in the media. You see this company that's raised 100 million pounds and you're like, okay, that's what I want to do. But definitely VC is not the path that's for everyone. And actually, I always advise entrepreneurs, if you don't need to raise venture capital funding, don't do it. You know, retain that, that the stake that you have in your business. You don't have to give away money. Um, you don't have to give away a stake in your business. And so, you know, there are various other forms of funding, such as crowdfunding. So there's a company in the UK called BYP. They successfully raised through a crowdfunding campaign that's a great way to raise you know there's companies that just raise you know um, angel rounds a great example is Calendly company that I absolutely love I use on a daily basis I think they raise less than 500k and today they're generating over 60 million dollars in revenue and so it just shows that it can be done you don't necessarily need to raise venture capital funding and actually what I always find is that if you don't need to raise venture capital funding it gives you a lot more control over what you do because you have to understand that when you are taking funding from a venture capitalist there is certain expectations as a venture capitalist we're looking for you know those 10x returns so for every pound that we invest in your company we want to turn that into 10 pounds that's not for everyone and that's okay so it's really important that the alternative sources of funding are well understood i think it's definitely important to highlight that first before anyone decides that they do want to go down the vc route but if they do and they feel like they're investor ready what should they be mindful of interesting question is something that i am constantly speaking about um, because a lot of people put so much time and energy into raising capital particularly from venture capitalists but really you should just focus on you know creating something of value because I always think that once you've created something of value the money will follow because at the end of the day funding is an outcome of building a good business right and so it is that simple when you are in a position where you've got that traction you've got your early clients you're generating revenue and you've got those proof points having those investor conversations are so much easier than you know presenting an idea to an investor where you're likely to get a no and so my key advice is just really focus on the business put your focus on the customer be scrappy you don't necessarily need to raise in order to prove that it's a viable business spend as much time with your customers as possible Um, and a great example is a company that I was recently speaking to they're essentially providing um, household services to households and so they're offering laundry and so on Um, at the time I met them they were generating 200 over 200k in revenue and they were only using WhatsApp and Excel spreadsheets to do everything so by the time that they came to us they said you know we actually want to build this app now we've proven that people want to use our, our service we just need the money now to you know create it in an app we've been doing it for six months and that's a great example of a company that's really proven that customers need and want their offering and they're raising capital to just help them accelerate that growth 
Mm. So would you say that you would want to see or you'd want to consider a business when it gets to a point where you can see that their business is working? So it might be too early for people to come to you within their initial stages. Is there a particular stage when people should go to a VC? Yeah, I think that, you know, ideally you want to go to a VC when you have demonstrated and, and proven that that you have validated your business model is something that customers need or want. I mean, there are people, individuals that, that raise based off of, you know, just ideas alone, but that's very rare. And just because it's glamorized in the media, that's, that's very rare case. And that's what I want people to really understand. You don't actually need the capital to, to build a great business and prove that you you have something uh, really valuable. Mm -hmm. Have you got any advice on nailing those investment pitches? Um, advice, I would say a few key things, actually. So one of the key mistakes I often see or hear is when entrepreneurs that they don't have any competition, major red flag, always know your market <laughs> before you go in and pitch to investors. The other thing I would say is, you know, just be very mindful of the investors that you're speaking to. Um, oftentimes, every investor will have their own thesis own areas of, of sectors that they invest in and so if you are pitching to investor you know and you you're running a consumer companies but you don't actually you know actually know whether they will invest in your company or this it's not a sector they look at then you need to be mindful of that and not waste your own time as well as their time and then just be really clear on what your value proposition is it's always really difficult when I sit on a pitch and by the end of the pitch I'm more confused or I don't understand what the core <laughs> offering is of the product so you just want to make sure that you're nailing that and get the narrative right okay doing your research and nailing your narrative key okay so in the uk the government's recently officially announced that we're in recession and globally the businesses are just they're still in this recovery stage i'd say so how do you feel about the current climate for investment in black entrepreneurs in particular um i would say it's it's definitely a tough environment um you know the government announced very in, in the UK announced various schemes um such as you know the bounce back scheme and you know the future fund scheme and that that's um in terms of the conditions that are required in order to get that you know black entrepreneurs have been disproportionately affected where they don't necessarily qualify um so that that's been a challenge and I think the you know the market is changing so this is it's a tough period for many startups but at the same time some startups ha have actually benefited from COVID as well so that's an important point to note. Mm -hmm. They say in a recession, it goes up and down a little bit because a lot of people get made redundant and then they start their own businesses and then that helps it go up again. But then obviously people's businesses go bust so that goes down again. So it's kind of evens out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. But yes, so what does investment in a post-COVID world look like to you? Oh, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> Mm, um, yeah. I, I've actually noticed that there's a huge, it's a huge boon for startups not based in, you know, key cities. So San Francisco, New York, no one cares anymore. That's the biggest change. So if you have a startup yeah. based in a remote town that no one's heard of, because everyone's working from home and I don't see that changing anytime soon, you know, location isn't really an issue where it, it really was before. I would also say that, you know, investments are, are happening a lot quicker. I think initially, you know, in, in the immediate aftermath of, of COVID, decisions were being made um they're taking longer to be made and a lot of funds obviously mm -hmm. were spending a lot of time with their existing portfolio companies but what i'm finding now is that it's actually accelerated because all the stakeholders can get together even faster so decisions are being made uh, more quicker especially for slightly larger checks where they require consensus whereas before you would have to go to the company's office and spend time with them now everything's being done over zoom the other thing i would say is you know that one slide summary is becoming so so important there's too much to process digitally um yeah and so 
if a summary doesn't hook an investor, it's it's tougher than ever, really. Um, you click on, you move on. So um, really understanding the first impression that you make on investors is, is absolutely key. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? What are you up to? I'm actually working on a really exciting project. I can't announce it yet. But, you know, one thing I would say is, you know, follow me on my socials of Umbrella and keep up to date. I will be announcing it very soon. <laughs> cool. We'll look out for that one. So our next question was actually, where can the people find you? But you've just already just given us your socials. So that's fine. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. So that's episode 11 with Yvonne. In order to secure VC funding, you need to know your competition, the market, and be clear about your value proposition. The first impression you make on investors is absolutely key. Before we go, we of course had to play around and speak on it with Yvonne. For those who are new here, our Speak On It segment is a quickfire round where guests have 30 seconds per word to give their views on buzzwords that resonate well with their worlds. Let's see how it went with Yvonne. So the first word is startup. Money. <laughs> well, I'm an investor, so what do you expect? <laughs> there you go. Follow the money. Inequality. Women empowerment, which is two words, but hey. <laughs> That's fine. Forbes. 30 on 30. Black-led. Business. Mentoring. Mutually beneficial, which again is two words. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Community relationships. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for sharing your stories and inspiring us all. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. A big thank you to Yvonne for joining us on the podcast. We'll be releasing the very last episode of the season. Yes, I can't believe we've got there in a fortnight. So be sure to subscribe. And follow us on Instagram at Life's a Bags Podcast for regular updates. As always, if you have a few moments, please leave us a review on whichever streaming platform you're using as it helps us become discoverable. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Collective London.